The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at TNTradio.live. Germ Warfare is Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Germ Warfare at TNTradio.live. That is my email address, as you hopefully know by now. And just, uh, just to correct some of those uh, spelling errors, Germ Warfare is with a J, not with a G, because my name is Jeremy. So it's just a little play on, on words. Um, and also because I have a contagious personality. M- my mother loves my terrible jokes. <laughs> anyway, jump into the live chat, say hi. Uh, if you are watching via one of the live feeds, uh, hi. Um, I, I don't know where they all are now. They are all over the place. Just go to TNT's website. You will find all the necessary information uh, where you can download the shows afterwards, the videos, the audios, everything is available on the website. It is also pretty hot at the moment. Uh, it, ha- it has been hotter. Last week was hotter here in Cape Town. It's currently 30 degrees Celsius, but it's still warm where I'm sitting right now because my power just went out. I'm running off backup power. We've got rolling blackouts and uh, got no aircon. So I'm running off fans and some very warm lights shining on me. So I do apologize if I, <laughs> if I start becoming more glossy and shiny throughout the course of this conversation. All right. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. The facts, no spin or agenda. Not enough with the lies, we need the facts. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. My friend Simon Roche, is your electricity on? Uh, I don't know. I've got solar, so I'm kind of insulated from the the system. The, um, the, uh, the African National Congress stole all of our ESCOM money, you know, the money that we paid for the electricity that we received. We paid through our municipality and the African National Congress stole all of it. <coughs> and so many of us stopped paying. So they they came and installed prepaid meters. They they installed them throughout the village. And for some reason, they skipped the, the, the distribution, the sub-distribution box that serves my house and another, I think it's five houses. And there were some queries on WhatsApp groups, you know, why, why have these houses been skipped anyway? We were left until the very last. And they, arri- they arrived with three police vans <laughs> to install my, my, my meter. And anyway, it turned out that they anticipated that I was going to put up a bit, of a, a bit of a fight. And they were too afraid, apparently. I mean, I, this I only know through the grapevine, to give me the sort of palm pilot thing that you that you have inside your house, you know, that controls the meter that's down at the box. So you don't have to leave your kitchen kind of thing when you go on the internet and you buy your, you know, $20 of electricity or whatever the case may be for the next fortnight. And so they didn't give that to me. So I thought that's it. That is a sign. Um, and I just went completely off grid um, so that I have nothing more to do with them. They can take their system and they can stick it uh where the sun don't shine but nothing (laughs) but i mean look simon what you're doing actually is what is what we are all about yeah you know on the radio station and of course uh the general principle of being um opposed to the sustainable development agenda 2030 globalist uh goals and ambitions they want everybody to be dependent, reliant on centralized grids of all kinds. And 
electricity is just one of those dependencies. It's a good thing to actually be off grid. It is. It's a very good thing to be off grid. It's uh, we should all endeavor. It costs money and it's not easy. I had to make very great sacrifices to afford my solar system and then to upgrade it when it wasn't quite good enough. Um, but we should all endeavor as far as we can to be uh, independent electricity wise, independent water wise, and at least to some small extent, independent food wise. Uh, it's not easy, but it's well worth the effort. And it is uh, in an objective, abstract sense, I, I should say, it's a very, very good thing. Yeah, I mean, I was, as you know, um, I was in Europe a few months ago, you were in the States recently also. And it's funny, both you and I are South African. And every time I find myself in, let's say, a first world environment, I, I appreciate that everything works. But I, I, I don't know how to explain it. I appreciate more what we have. Does that make sense? Uh, sort of, sort of. It's a, it's an ambivalent thing or a paradoxical thing, um, Jeremy. This relationship with the with the first world that that we have. I, I'm maybe not really feeling precisely what you're saying, but I have very similar thoughts. You know, in the shower, uh, in bed at night before you fall asleep, these kind of competing strange thoughts about about uh, the western world you know how well, many well let me the, let me rephrase it sorry sorry just for clarity let me rephrase that um when i flew back to south africa from europe i i felt like i was home despite the chaos uh there's something about being african that's quite unique and it's difficult to explain i i wouldn't want to live in canada for example because it's just too everything works but it's just too centralized Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I uh, I wasn't going to mention this, um, but there's a very good chance that I'll I'll move, um, <clears throat> move home, you know. And the place that I'll go to, in all likelihood, is very rural and very remote. <clears throat> of course, with wireless internet, I can keep in touch with you and the world and do all of my interviews and videos and what have you with no problem, but it would be as decentralized as decentralized could be. There's, there are no mm. municipal services. There, there's no, you know, running water apart from what you get out of the ground. Um, and there's a super abundance of food, but you have to hunt for it. And I am absolutely, I'm tickled pink by the prospect, Jeremy. I, I really can't wait for it to happen. But I mean, what you're saying actually is exactly, <laughs> it's exactly the message that we should be hearing. Uh, people, I mean, okay, going into that kind of environment is probably not for everybody, but that is actually an excellent goal, um, I think, on so many levels. Yeah, it's, you know, when you consider, uh, I think I've said this to you before, so I won't harp on it, but I made the point to some Americans that if you take an XY axis, you know, of a Cartesian plane and you you go back to, let's say, 1970, whatever the social mores might have been concerning homosexuality, and you extrapolate it through to today where, uh, 
drag queens are, you know, rubbing their faces, their butts in kids' faces, and then you extrapolate it another five years, you must come to the ineluctable, inevitable, indisputable conclusion that at some point in time, society is going to demand that children undergo a test before they choose their gender. You know, if you take this, this line of perversity and you protract it, you extrapolate it, at some point they are going to want to compel kids to have the other experience before they make a final choice so that they're properly informed, of course, Jeremy. Mm. <laughs> My point being that if you consider just how wicked the centralization of society in the West is, whether it pertain to the COVID narrative or to the immigration narrative, <coughs> excuse me, or to LGBTQ or to the vaccination narrative, then the best thing that you can do for, for yourself is divorce yourself as much yeah. as possible. The food narrative, the farming narrative, I mean, just all of it is centralized madness that is being projected yeah. on us and on our children. And there's only one way around it. Well, there are two ways. The one is to be obstreperous, you know, just as difficult as you can be, as uncooperative you can, as you can be, to the extent that you have anything to do with it. And the other, of course, is to remove yourself as far as possible. Mm. Um, Holly in the live chat, and I think Holly is in the UK, um, says here, we don't want too many free thinkers disappearing into the wilderness. We need everyone to keep together and, and fight these feckers. <laughs> nice idea. Uh, so what she's saying, Simon, is go rural, but stay connected. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, Jeremy. I, I, I wouldn't say I'm at a point of despair, but I am at the point where I just don't know anymore <clears throat> what we're going to do if they if they tension this thing up, you know, if, if what Whitney Webb has been saying in recent interviews is correct, namely that within the next nine months, I think technically speaking, it's eight months now, there, there shall be as a matter of certainty, categorical certainty, a, <clears throat> a financial, you know, manipulated financial crash that will lead to CBDCs and, and what have you. If she's correct, um, I think they're going to put the the um, the bangles, as it were, you know, the on us so so severely that I, I don't know to what extent we're going to be able to resist unless we're elsewhere. I don't think resistance in the cities, resistance around the automatic teller machines, resistance around the digital diesel pumps, dieseline pumps, resistance around the, <clears throat> the the Woolworths point of sale, you know, how feasible it's going to be at all. There's an interesting comment here uh, saying, yes, but there are more of us than there are of them, Simon. But the thing is, I I get what you're saying, because there's, there doesn't ever seem to be a critical mass. We always talk about it in, in hope that we'll see that critical mass, but it, it doesn't ever appear to materialize you know jeremy i read a, a very scholarly analysis of the 
U.S. elections, the 2019, uh, 2020 elections, that revealed, and I would say it's a revelation because it was an exercise in actuarial science. You know, it wasn't speculative. <coughs> that Donald Trump, in fact, got the 81 million votes. I forget however many it was that they, that they calculated Joe Biden got. So the highest vote tally in history. And when push came to shove, when it became lucidly clear, incontrovertibly clear that the election had been stolen within a few weeks, what was the response? Was it to man the barricades? Was it to bring out 100,000 tractors and front-end loaders and graders and bulldozers? Was it to have 16 million people on the streets? No. It was maybe 3,000 people in Dodge Challengers with <clears throat> flags sticking out of the window, driving around the U.S. Capitol while tooting their horns. It was an impotent response. I'm very sorry to say it, but it was an impotent response. So we are more than them, but we're a bunch of poofters, and that's a matter of fact. <laughs> I, I want to chat a little bit about actually that segue that you created uh, with because there's an election coming up in both America and South Africa. And I, I suspect we can draw some parallels there. We got a break coming up. So let's just do a, a, a short little, um, little segment here before we, we, we get into the, the nitty gritty. But we've essentially at this stage, Simon, if we look at the US, we've got, I think, three candidates, Biden, Trump, and I, I suppose Kennedy, essentially. What I mean, what do you make of that? I think it's a great pity that uh, Robert F. Kennedy is running as an independent because it more or less scratches him from the race. And I don't think he's pure as the driven snow, but I do think that he has many noble, old-fashioned character traits that I would have liked to have seen being given a better chance than he stands as an independent candidate. I think that the Joe Biden thing is unrealistic. I can't see them allowing him to to to, to uh, uh, prosecute, as it were, a second term. But likewise, I don't see them allowing Donald Trump to become the president of the USA, regardless of election results. I want to know. Uh, yeah, I I hold the same view as you, but I I got this weird feeling that he actually is going to get a second term. I think that if they don't put him in jail, if they don't uh, create a, you know, some sort of a, a dramatic uh, thing, you know, photographs of him, uh, you know, in compromising situations with underage people, whatever, you know, something absolutely that deletes him from contention altogether. If they don't do those two things. Epstein. Uh, mm. An Epstein type scenario then I think that he's liable to win the election hands down and the Democratic National Convention is going to find it very difficult to steal the election in the same way as they did previously. Having said that, I still do not believe in my heart of hearts <clears throat> that the great elite that has controlled our lives as effectively as it has over recent years is going to stand for him being the U.S. president. I mm. uh, just can't mm. see them allowing it. All right, Simon, let's jump into that after the break. But for now, I'll be back with you shortly. My name is Jim. This is TNT. 
TNT's Steve Malzberg. If a president could be prosecuted for things he did, which he believed and was advised by his lawyers, what, what was was the duty of the president to do. And then after the fact, after he's president, he could be prosecuted. The example has come up today many times. Well, when Joe Biden leaves office, he could be prosecuted for not securing the border. Barack Obama um, okayed drone strikes against American citizens overseas. He could be prosecuted for murder. I mean, this opens up a whole can of worms. Um, Pandora's box, I think, is the term that uh, that Trump used. Steve Malzberg on today's News Talk TNT. I said, could she die? And the doctor said she could. It was so scary. When I started clawing at my neck and trying to breathe and I thought, you know, what are we going to do if I die here? (laughs) How's everyone going to go on? When someone's gravely sick or injured in the bush, they rely on the Royal Flying Doctor service. But now the Flying Doctor needs your help to fund vital medical equipment and supplies. Please search Flying Doctor online to give a regular gift of just $10. You can help equip the Flying Doctor's teams to respond to any emergency anywhere. Search Flying Doctor online. Become a part of the Royal Flying Doctor service and help save lives in the bush. CO2 sustains all life on Earth, but now it's in long-term decline. We face the return of an ice age. We mandate that the truth be told. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Simon, there's a comment here in the live chat that says, uh, oh, hang on, the the comment now just jumped out of view. Uh, Where is it? Uh, It's orange orange man all the way unless they kill him. The thing here is we're sitting with a very low bar, Simon, because on the one hand, Trump, Trump, is quite fun in some ways. He's, he's entertaining. I like how he dismantles the media. I think the term fake news didn't really have any significance until he came about. Um, and and he's he was good with climate change. He pulled back on the Paris Accord. However, he didn't stop any wars. Um, he, he didn't create any either, to be fair. But he certainly, I think, is something close to what you would call a Christian Zionist. I mean, he moved the, I think it was the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. That was a big middle finger to, to Palestine. Uh, and and I, I'm not entirely certain that he's completely anti the global agenda. Man, yeah, I think uh, Donald Trump is a bit of a... Uh paradox in that regard. I think you're you're dead right. I have grave reservations about Donald Trump. You may or may not know, Jeremy, that when he took office, the US debt was $19.8 trillion. When he left office, it was uh, $27.8 trillion. In other words, he added to what for all intents and purposes was a, 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 a $20 trillion debt, accrued over 250 years almost since 1776. He took that debt and he added 40% to it 
single-handedly in four years. Okay, let's take off the, uh, the, the coronavirus nonsense and the free checks and the what have you. The man is still a spendthrift. He is a master at burning through money and using it to pretend that the economy is great. I mean, it's one of the most phenomenal lies in the history of lies. You know, it's like me going to the money lender. I'm in trouble, big financial trouble. <coughs> Kids don't have shoes. My wife doesn't have money for, you know, for food, for cooking supper at night. I go, uh, come home from, from work or from, you know, begging for work. I stop in at the pub. I get half drunk. I go to the money lender. I bum a thousand bucks and I come home and I say, yippee, it's the good times. You know, I've got a bonus. My boss gave me a bonus because I'm the best worker. It's an absolute fiction. All I'm committing my, my family to is greater misery over the period over which I have to pay the money back. So that fiction of the best economy ever, the best economy ever, the best economy ever, the best economy ever, <clears throat> causes me to mistrust the man very, very, very greatly. And the Christian Zionism thing worries me no end, Jeremy. Having yeah, said that, like many other people, I am seduced by his charisma. He's one of a kind. I mean, you've got to hand it to him. Um, I find that I have the same problem. Um, I mean, when he won in 2016, you know, I quietly metaphorically opened the bottle of champagne uh, because he, he beat all the odds. But the problem is that it's a very short-sighted view because in the in the big picture, if you zoom out, Simon, do you do you think that Trump's general trajectory is vastly different to that of Biden or even Kennedy? Yeah, I think that it is. I think that he is a lone wolf in many ways. I think that he is. Um, uh, almost a renaissance man. I think that he is a pretty special, unique character, but he is not pure as the driven snow. As we've already discussed, the Christian Zionism thing bothers me no end. And the fact that he was willing to tell, to look the American people in the eyes and tell them such a fantastic fib. <clears throat> means that uh, as much as he's uh, unique, special, and different, uh, he's uh, not pure as the driven snow, as I say. Uh, it, there's, it's, it's, a, it's an iffy one, Donald Trump. I mean, objectively speaking, I'm not talking about subjectively, you like him, I like him, you don't like him. He said this about the border, he did that. Let's cut all the rubbish. The fact of the matter is that he borrowed more than double what any other president had borrowed in history and used that money to convince the American people that they were doing well, buddy. Um, he, he, he's not holier than thou. He's not yeah. some kind of saint figure. I just want to just magnetize a little bit onto that point you're making about the Christian Zionist element, because that is because of what's going on in the Middle East at the moment, it's obviously quite topical still. But if you if you look at the US presidents, every single one of them, Biden, Trump, and Kennedy, are all blindly 
pro-Israel. The same thing with, um, is, it, is it Argentina's president? I forget his name now. The, the crazy yes, Javier town. Javier Milei. Yeah. And um, the Netherlands' new PM. Um, Correct. Wilders. Also, now, it's almost as if they've got this, this sort of pseudo-right-wing um, set of characteristics about them. But yet geopolitically, they've got this very concerning, overarching shadow. Uh, and as you say, it is concerning because uh, this is this is not just about Palestine. It extends into so many other facets of, of global affairs. Yeah, well, it extends into, into the West. You, you know, mm. people like that uh, ensure that the West remains subordinate to the interests of Israel whenever those interests compete even slightly with one another. So it extends absolutely into the hearth and the home of every <clears throat> of every person in the West, every family in the West. No two ways about it. And it's a crying shame that so very few of our people uh, can see it. I, I do more research than anybody that I, I know. I, I, I'm not saying I, I do the most. All I'm saying is that I don't mm. know personally anybody who spends as much time specializing in the field of what they are saying about the affairs that are going on at the moment. And there is a tremendous amount of rejoicing um, among the top rabbis over what is transpiring at the moment. It is perceived to be the eve of World War III, the eve of the final mm. clash between what they call the mentality of Poros. <clears throat> so uh, the Persian-centered um, uh, axis of the world and then Caucasian Christianity. And I emphasize Caucasian because they draw that distinction. They talk very much about the genetics of us mm. as opposed to the faith. <clears throat> so it's it's the final, the final, the final war to end all of the wars of all of the history of mankind between the whites and the rest of the world. They're absolutely rejoicing uh, over it. So, uh, you know, the, the reality is that we can not afford, you and I, can not afford to have one single more Christian Zionist that puts the interests of Israel above the interests of the West. However, that's what we're going to get, because whether it be yeah. Nikki Haley, of course, it's not going to be her, but, you know, you can run the full gamut. Nikki Haley, uh, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, JFK Jr., whatever we get is going to be somebody who is a cheerleader and a standard bearer for Israel. There's a comment here uh, in the live chat. It's quite long, but I'm only going to read the, the first little bit. Uh, Catherine says, Trump was duped by the leaders with regards to moving uh, the embassy. Uh, he did more for peace in the Middle East than anyone else prior the Doha agreements and the Abraham Accords. Um, things may not be clear yet, but in time they will be. I've heard this argument a number of times, Simon. It's this, it's this Q, a non-type thing that uh, he's playing this game. We must just keep trusting him, keep trusting him. And every single step of the way, 
uh, is a step in the wrong direction, but it's okay because it's part of the plan. I think moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, there's no duping involved. It's an unbelievable middle finger and it's a deliberate, it's a deliberate provocation with the Arab world. And, and Trump definitely, definitely knew that. Oh, yeah, there's no question that you and I are clever enough to see it, but Donald Trump, as mentally retarded as he is, golly gee, it just escaped his notice. These guys mm. are not idiots. I reject that argument out of hand, Jeremy. He did more for, 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 for peace in the Middle East. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? <clears throat> Why are we so worried about peace in the Middle East? Let them do their thing. Why is it that the West subordinates itself to this notion of peace in the Middle East every single time the question comes up? We should be doing more. Why? Why, 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 why? Peace in the Middle East and not peace in the Democratic Republic of Congo or peace in Peru or peace. In, why? 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 Um, no, yeah, no, exactly. no, 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 no. I've, I've had enough with that argument. <clears throat> the Middle East has cost the West trillions of dollars and it continues to demand all of our attention at the kind of uh, the, the jerk of a knee. And it shouldn't be that way. It's not that important to my children's interests. It's not that important to the interests of farmers in Ohio. It is not that important to the economy of Germany. It just is not. There's a, a comment. Well, there's a lot of, okay, hang on. There are a lot of comments here, Simon. I can't, I can't go through them. And in fact, they're going so quickly that they're jumping out of my screen. Uh, but someone says here, uh, I do trust Trump. I feel pretty certain that he's here for a purpose. He is not the answer, but he is the instrument that we need right now. That's also an interesting idea because they, they, so somebody earlier said it's their choices between basically um, a turd and um, I don't know, uh, something, a piece of compost or something, right? Basically, it's two terrible choices. Yeah. Now, do they then vote for the better, <laughs> the better of the turds? I mean, is that, is that where we've arrived? I suppose so, Jeremy. It's heartbreaking to consider it, but I suppose so. You know, what else are you going to do? Um, I don't know. I, I, I really, I'm at the point where um, I've become an out-and-out out accelerationist. I'd like the show just to, you know, for the, for the match to kick off, um, for us to enter some kind of a, a crisis phase that allows us to uh, extirpate all of the nonsense that we're supposed to accept as one of the only choices. <clears throat> I can't stand the thought that I'm voting between a guy who says that a guy who's great with money, but he says that abortion should be allowed up until day 99, as it were, and a guy who's very bad with, with the, you know, the municipal finances, but he says that abortion should only be allowed 
up to the end of the first trimester, it revolts me. The world that I live in, the norms, the mores, and the values revolt me. And I don't speak as a holier-than-thou person. Uh, people who know me well know that I, I drink and I smoke. I'm kind of a hypocrite, if you like. Um, I'm one of those people <coughs> who doesn't, who, who I, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm meant to be the, the goody two-shoes guy in this picture. I don't think that's my role. I think that my role is just to be a dead, ordinary guy who says to the people around him, I am not a saint, I'm a sinner. But let me give you a piece of advice because I know what I'm talking about. Once you open the door to this, you will never close it again. And it seems to me that we have opened the door to many, many things that we can no longer and will never be able to shut out ever unless there is a crisis, unless we have some kind of a critical moment um, you know, be it, I don't know, the planet, something, something hitting the earth or World War Three, or a global famine, who knows what, whatever it's meant to be. But I, this, this idea that I have to choose between two scallywags who, who are going to one way or the other betray the faith of my fathers and destroy the innocence of my children is for me an unacceptable choice. Yeah. I, I can't do it anymore, Jeremy. Yeah, there are, I mean, there are lots of comments, as I said, and a couple of them are, are saying yes, but, but Trump certainly did improve relations uh, here and there. People certainly appreciated in sort of his uh, his foreign policy <laughs> again in the Middle East. US was energy independent during Trump. This isn't a, a binary conversation. It's not one or zero. Yes, Trump did have a few good points. And generally speaking, out of the batch, if as an outsider, I like Trump the most. But it doesn't detract from the serious, serious warts that, that, are, that are surfacing and did surface. Well, that's exactly the point that you and I have been making for the past 40 minutes, Jeremy. Well, well not 40. Mm. Since the, we opened this subject, that's who Trump is. He is a mm. paradox. I've said this, my voice is almost hoarse from saying it. How much harder do I have to try? <laughs> the reality is that Donald Trump is exceedingly charismatic, and he has many uh, 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 tremendous virtues that appealed to all of us conservatives, including me. However, we have to be cognizant of the fact that this is a man who told a lie about the economy of the USA and about the tax money that, that people are going to have to pay for generations, paying back the $8 trillion that he borrowed. On, on 20, Jeremy, you know the problem with this? There's a video on YouTube, I think it's called, it's like six hours long or something, and it's by an old professor, I'm sure he's dead by now, from the University of Boulder, Colorado, Professor Albert, I think, somebody or other, in which he talks about the rudiments of mathematics that people fail to understand, and he incorporates many terrific examples 
he demonstrates, <coughs> uh, for example, that it's impossible to consume the, all of the oil that has been discovered in the world. Just not possible to do it, impossible to do it. We can never run out of oil. And he uses that to illustrate a mathematical principle. And I <clears throat> want to say now, in light of that little digression, if you don't understand mathematics, then don't listen to what I'm saying. But if you do understand mathematics, get this into your thick skull, not you, Jeremy. Listen carefully here. The US debt, over 250 years almost, from 1776 until uh, 2016, the gross national debt had accumulated to $19.8 trillion, $20 trillion, in four years. Like, again, forgive me, but sometimes I don't always communicate well. Uh, possibly I didn't make this point yet. If you don't understand mathematics, don't listen to what I'm saying. But if you do, listen well. In four years, he turned that $20 trillion debt, $20 trillion over 250 years into $28 trillion. The man is a scoundrel in that regard. Let's please, we've already made the damn point. He has other nice qualities. Thanks. But in that regard, he is a scoundrel of the last degree and the first water. End of story. And not only is he a scoundrel of today, that, that $8 tr trillion is going to take generations and generations and generations to pay back. Simon, quickly before uh, I go to a break, uh, someone's asking, um, has your dog disappeared from under your desk? <laughs> no, she's here. I had her spayed this morning, so she's feeling very sorry for herself. She got a pyometra, <laughs> so I had no choice. I gave her, I gave her rest floor. I was uh, gave her three mils of rest floor, and I gave her four mils of um, depomycin, <laughs> but it only suppressed the infection. So we right. we had to take her womb out. She's very, she's very full of nonsense, though. She's now bitten six people. She's here. She's lying right there. <laughs> Simon Roche, I'll be back with you shortly. This is, my name is Jim. This is TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Last week, when Karine Jean-Pierre was asked about the position of Joe Biden when it comes to late-term abortions, she had the phony rhetoric ready to go. What I will say is majority of Americans, majority of Americans wants to see their rights protected, wants to see women have their rights protected, wants to be able to, wants, want women to be able to make those deeply, deeply personal decisions on their bodies, on their own, not politicians. That's what majority of Americans want to see. And so the president's going to stand with majority of Americans on this issue. Unborn babies have any rights then? I'm not going to get into that specific. I'm not going to get into that question. Rights for unborn babies? What are you, mad? <laughs> but let's take a look at how Americans really feel about the issue of abortion. This is from Gallup, May of last year. Only 34% of Americans believe abortion should be legal under all circumstances. 34%. A majority, 64%, say limited circumstances or not at all. 
And in the same poll, only 22% of Americans believe third trimester abortion should be legal at all. It just shows that Corinne Jean-Pierre and her leftist buddies are a bunch of liars. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. What do I love about riding? It's the thrill. The excitement. Riding gives me a sense of freedom. I feel so connected to the road. Riding is like therapy to me. It makes me feel alive. Love riding? Back off. TNT. You're with Jeremy now on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. A few comments coming through here, Simon, uh, sort of in defense of Trump still. Um, I don't know how you say this. Hugo says the U.S. is borrowing $1 trillion uh, every 100 days under Biden. Someone else says, yeah, okay, okay, well, let's blame Trump then for the disgusting U.S. debt. Um, that's a sarcastic comment. Look, the problem is, is again, you've got to keep banging this drum. With respect, as you pointed out, to uh, the, the the financial situation, Trump didn't improve the U.S.'s is standing. He's just done exactly what every other president has done. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not to say that mm. Trump is a uniquely bad man and nobody else in the world is bad but Donald. Nobody's saying that. We're mm. saying that the guy has charisma in buckets, bucket loads. He's fantastic. He's wonderful. However, however, mm. he is not the spotless specimen that some people make him out to be. In fact, he has flaws of the greatest consequence. And that debt is, is, is a very, very severe thing that is going to punish the United States of America for decades to come. But people don't want to understand it, Jeremy. It's almost not worth trying to convince yeah. them that the man may be less than perfect or that he may even be a threat to their welfare. Yeah, I mean, I think an underlying point perhaps that you're making is that people mustn't put their trust in political leaders. It's time to uh, take control of our own families and communities. Well, that's that's exactly it. You know, the U.S. in this year's budget has a, a deficit of $1.7 trillion, a 38% deficit. In other words, the anticipated tax revenue federal revenue, all revenue combined is $4.44 trillion. The budget is $6.13 trillion. So there's $1.7 trillion short. Now, as it is, <clears throat> the debt is about $32 trillion, whether you're counting to the end of March, whether you count to the end of December, because there's this Janet Yellen thing, there's the two big quarters, 700 billion and 800 billion. You know, let's just reduce it to simple terms, about $32 trillion. And there's a $1.7 trillion uh, deficit. And on top of that, this is a black swan year for debt maturity. It happens to be a year in which the USA has to pay back $7 trillion. And it's really $1.7 trillion short. So there's going to be financial finagling happening this year like the world has never seen and I'm telling you, this chicken is going to come home to roost. The next time I'm in the USA, 
I'm going to be confronted by mothers behind the counter of the Dollar General explaining to me how they cannot pay rent even though they're working six 12-hour shifts a week. That's because people refuse to see the harsh, the harsh, the harsh reality of this thing of borrowing fantastic sums of money and saying, I won the lotto. You won't believe it. I was on my way home. I stopped at the pub, but it was only for two, my darling. And and I thought I'd go in. And I know you told me to stop gambling, but you know what? I took a ticket and it happened right there. I took the ticket at one minute to eight o'clock. And then the draw on television was at eight o'clock. And the, the man behind the counter, the Pakistani man, paid me out then and there. The most fantastic story you've ever heard. It's all bulldust. It's a manufactory yeah. of layers and layers and layers of bulldust. Now, I'm not saying that people should hate Trump out and out. I am saying that I have grave reservations about yeah. a man who tells lies like he does. Yeah. And the other thing, Simon, that we haven't even touched on was warp speed. Uh, he openly, openly ran with the with the vaccine rollout. Now, I am <clears throat> going to I am going to concede that there is a possibility that he was duped into that. I, I that I can understand because we know that uh, Deborah Burke and and um, I forget the names of the other the other CIA actors that were involved in taking over the Corona response, as it were. I know that they all surrounded mm -hmm. him and swooped in very very quickly, and it is it is possible that that he was just outflanked in that regard. His position on climate change, I like. I like that he's that he doesn't like uh, the the narrative. Um, and that he pulled out of the Paris Accord. Not that it made any difference because uh, Biden overturned it. But there is, I suppose, the shadow, as you point out, that the long term, the long term trajectory is very much the same, no matter who you vote for. Yeah, Jeremy, it's sad, man. It's sad to to be confronted by the reality that whether we do or whether we don't, we're equally damned, you know? Um, mm. It's it's it, it's enough, for, especially for a person like me, with my temperament, my personality, my nature. It's, it's heartbreaking for me, but that is the reality. The reality mm. is that, <clears throat> you know, uh, <laughs> you're choosing between bad and worse, uh, in my opinion. Um, I think that this is going to be a seminal year, though. I don't think that this year is going to pass without some sort of a, a, a climax, a crisis, in the true sense of the word. Um, I, I don't see how things can carry on the way that they're going without, some, without the, the center giving. You know, the center can no longer hold. It's purning and purning in a widening gyre. As Yates or originally said um, uh, when he made up that word, but <clears throat> um, I, I think that by early 2025 we're going to be living in a very, very different world. I I can't see how between Ukraine, where NATO is clearly agitating for a greater level of of uh, turbulence, if you like, and and BRICS and Iran, and what's happening in the USA, and the energy crisis in Western Europe, 
and the the nascent, the emerging, the inchoate uh, food crisis in Western Europe. I, I just don't see how things can carry on the way that they are without something given. I don't think that the center can hold. So there is a part of me that is consoled by the fact, the certain fact in my mind anyway, the conviction in my mind, that I probably don't have much more than 10 or 11 or 12 or 13 months to wait before something tremendous comes out of this. I'll probably end up regretting wishing for it. But as I sit here right now, I am consoled by the, the certainty in my own mind that something will give in this year and that we won't have to uh, interminably endure this long, long, long-winded, exhausting uh, drain on our morale, on our spirits, on our courage that the, the world is subjecting us to, the life, that circumstance is subjecting us to everywhere, you know, whichever direction you look in, the, the Truman Show is around you, you know, it's up there and it's also there and it's also there and it's also there. <coughs> So, yeah, let's see. Uh, as I say, I'll probably regret wishing it, but but I'm, I'm pretty certain in my own mind that, that something will give this year. And for now, I'm very pleased by that prospect. Yeah, and it's funny because not that anybody actually cares, <laughs> but here in South Africa, we have our own election coming up this year. And uh, <laughs> although, although we've only got five minutes to chat, um, but that's all that's required, though, for our own election, because we are nothing on the on the on the world map anyway. <laughs> yeah, we're nothing on the world. No, I, I disagree with you, Jeremy. Um, I believe that South Africa as roughly the between the 30th and the 40th uh, biggest country, most populous country, highest GDP. You know, we, we fall between mm. 30 and 40 in most of the the rankings of the countries of the world. <clears throat> but there are certain rankings, that's of 194 countries. So we, we're not as unimportant as we sometimes think, but there is a regard in which we are very much more important than, than people realize. I'll, and I'll give you three salient examples. Chromium, we produce about 83% of the world's chromium. Anybody who knows the uses of chromium, we can see it in the, the world around them, understands that manganese we're going to war and the manganese being shipped out of soldana my brother provides the scanners that count the ore is like never in the history of the country we produce about 43 percent of the the world's manganese and we still to this day possess over 50 percent of the world's proven gold resources so we're not we're a bit like a monopoly game we're by no stretch of the imagination is south africa one of the eight or ten or twelve kids as it were playing Monopoly on a rainy Saturday afternoon. But we may be one of the two or three or four most valuable properties. As a property, we we have far more significance than, than most people realize, just as a property. We're not the USA, we're not the UK, we're not Germany, Italy, no, no ways. But we have our own special significance. And now with the, the crisis in the Suez, the, 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 the Southern Sea road, route, of centuries and centuries and centuries becomes relevant again. I'm not suggesting that we're suddenly about to become ever so important. I am saying that 
if we have a bad, bad, bad election and there's instability in this country at a time when our resources and our little role, our little strategic role is of uh, enhanced value in the moment in history, in this moment in history, then, then the eyes of the world will be upon us. And it does look as if we're going to have a very shaky election. None of the polls, the Ipsos, Mori polls, what have you, <coughs> is suggesting that the ANC is going to be able to win without uh, or to form a government without a coalition. In other words, it's not going to get 50% or more of the vote. It's going to have to get a coalition partner, which it's not going to want to do. Therefore, there is a very strong likelihood that the cheating of the elections in South Africa that we've seen in previous years is going to be greatly exaggerated in this next election. Now, if that mm. happens, what may transpire is that there's an uproar from all sorts of other parties and that we, we, we develop some social fractiousness. I don't want to say civil war, but social fractiousness. There's a great deal of unrest. We see the RAND, the, the currency getting very shaky. The potential exists for South Africa as a property on the monopoly board to be in a very dicey situation in this 2024. Uh, and I, I would put my money on it, quite honestly, having looked at the polls very, very carefully. I think that there's little chance that we can have a good election, which means that there's a great chance that there's going to be a, a good deal of social instability following the election, which is scheduled for the 8th of May. All right. We have no more time, Simon. Uh, the comments were crazy. I couldn't keep up with them. Uh, but you'll be back in two weeks for now. Uh, how can I uh, f follow you? Saitlanders.org, just like the sign behind my head, it's S-U-I-D Landers, S-U-I-D Landers, as easy as that, .org. Please pay our website to visit, make a small donation. We need the money. It enables us to continue to do the work that we're doing. And we're very, very grateful to all of you who do support us in that way. Thank you very much, Jeremy. No, Simon, the pleasure is all mine. I uh, love chatting to you. As I said, I'll see you in about two weeks uh, so we can rant some more. <laughs> but until then, Simon Roche, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right, send me an email, germwarfare at tntradio.live. I do appreciate all the mails. I promise I do reply to some of them. Um, if they're worth replying to, I do get some weird troll troll type emails uh, from time to time. Uh, I don't know why people send those sorts of mails. Do they think I'm going to actually reply to them? Um, but yes, as I said, uh, do send me a mail, Germ Warfare with a J, Germ Warfare at tntradio.live. Uh, as always, go on to my page on TNT's website. You will find the archive of conversations. Uh, and because they're a video, you can watch you can watch them or listen to them. They are on my page on TNT's website. The, ho the whole shebang, it's all there. Uh, or listen to it via one of the apps. Man, you can you can you can stay in touch with my show, no matter where you are or what you're doing. It's pretty cool. I dig it. Anyway, I'm out here. I'll catch you tomorrow. My name is Germ. 
This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. Mm-hmm.